0: Good morning. A lot of things that divide Christians, I know Mark alluded to that. And in this series, we're going to talk about common causes, uh, things that unite believers. And so hopefully, as we think about the things that we have in common, that we can focus on these things, and that allows uh, a greater degree of unity. In his last recorded conversation with the Father, recorded in John 17, Jesus asks, his heavenly father to unite his followers. We're going to look at that prayer, a little bit of that prayer this morning, and from it, we'll learn about the power of one. It says in John 17, 11, Jesus says in this prayer, I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus says that they may be one as we are one. The they Jesus is talking about is the disciples. And what he understands that he has been with his disciples now for the better part of um two to three years, and he is going back to the Father, and when he does so, he will leave them. And when he leaves them, they won't have him as a source of information about the Father. And he knows that there will be a lot of different things that people will say, but because they don't have him to answer their questions, they will be in harm's way. He requests that those he leaves on the earth would experience the oneness that he shares with the Father. I want you to to let's kind of tune that in. So the thing that Jesus is most conscious of when he is thinking of going to the Father is: God, I want for the unity, Jesus says that he experiences with the Father, that that would be replicated so that the disciples would experience that same intimacy as well, which is an astonishing request when you think about it. Think about Jesus' relationship with God. It's a relationship with his Father. And Jesus' prayer is that the nature of that relationship would come within his followers, they would relate to God the way Jesus related to God, that they may be one as Jesus and the Father are one. Now, again, Jesus is God, but he's also man, and his prayer is that we would experience what we might suggest that only Trinity can experience, but that's Jesus' prayer. He has the same request, not just for his disciples at the time, but for those who believe in him because of the testimony of his disciples. And so that brings us into this prayer as well. Those of us who, and again, if you're listening, you're listening at some level because you are tuning in Jesus' words and you are regarding them. And what he says is this in John 17, 20, and 21, my prayer is not for them alone. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So, When Jesus offers up this prayer, then he's conscious of the nature of his connection to the Father, and he's coming to the Father to be with him as a presence. And yet he wants the nature of his connection to God while he was on earth to be replicated and to become that which lives within not only his disciples, but for those who believe in Jesus because of his word. Um, Let's ask and answer some questions about this unity that Jesus wants us to experience. Um, Let's discuss what it is and why it occurs and how we experience it. Let's begin with what, the what of unity. Again, what Jesus says, that they may be one as we are one. Can we agree that this unity is unique? It's something that is one of a kind. It's a divine unity. The unity that the Jesus experienced with the Father, that's the unity that he wants us to experience. Can we agree this unity, this unity is not unanimity, Unanimity was everybody talks the same. This unity is deeper than unanimity, and it's deeper than uniformity. You know, if unanimity is everyone talking the same, uniformity is everybody acting the same. The unity that Jesus describes is not from people trying to copy one another. It's not from people saying the same thing or doing the same thing. The unity Jesus wants us to experience is the unity that comes from connection with God. That Jesus' sense of connection with God would be experienced by those who believe in him. It's a oneness of inclusion, an inclusion that connects us to God as Jesus was connected to God. We talk about baptism. Baptism is a rite of inclusion. It's the way in the early church that you joined into the body of Christ. And when you think of it, we've talked about it before. Baptism is immersing something in someone. With um, When they dyed garments, they would take a white garment and immerse it into the dye, the Greek word for that immersion is baptizo, it's baptized. And so, as we've talked about before, when you take a white garment and you immerse it, when you baptize it into, like, say, purple dye, it goes in white, comes out purple. What's true of the dye Becomes true of the garment that you place into the dye. It becomes identified with what you baptize it into. And that's the right of inclusion. We are baptized into Christ. And what that means then is that what's true of Jesus becomes true of us if we are immersed or identified, baptized into Him. Think about that then. Uh, think about being baptized into Jesus. Think about Jesus in the scriptures. Um, Anything Jesus could have done to be closer to the Father? Anything that he might have done that that would cause that intimacy to be greater? Of course not. And so, if we're identified with Jesus, Jesus' experience of closeness is our experience of closeness as well. What's true of Jesus becomes true of us. Now, we might not believe it, but it's true. And that's the secret, it seems to be. What Jesus wants is that we would not only understand, but believe that that is how the Father relates to us, that we are as close to Him as Jesus was. Let's think about, is there anything Jesus could have done to be more loved by the Father? Was a son ever more obedient to a father? Of course not. Are we that obedient? No, of course we're not. But if we're identified with Jesus, what's true of Jesus becomes true of us. So therefore, if you are in Christ through believing in him, here's a question. Is there anything that you can do to be closer to the father? Is there anything that you can do to be more loved by the father? No. And here's a question. What if we believe that? When this oneness exists, if you have this oneness and you exist and are in contact with God because of being identified with Christ, I think it's a fair question. Can you do anything to become more connected to God? Think about somebody who's in another person, Jesus is in the Father, the Father is in Jesus. Is there anything that the Father can do what Jesus can do to become closer? No, if you're in someone... There's nothing you can do to be closer to that person. It'd be it'd be strange, wouldn't it, to for somebody who's in another person to say, "Well, you can become become closer," but it, that doesn't work it, because if you're in, and that's what Jesus is suggesting, He's in the Father, the Father's in Him, and if that's the case, the idea of becoming closer is not really relevant. And but I want you to think about that. Then, if we. Um, are as close to the father because this is what jesus wants us to understand as he is the idea of being closer to god doesn't make much sense does it if you're in christ the fact is the father loves you the way he loves his son you can't get closer from his perspective the challenge is believing it um, when you think of it, divisions between Christians are rooted in believing that some facet or practice or belief makes us closer to God. Isn't that right? You know, come to this church because this will help you be closer to God. Come to that church because we don't believe that thing, we believe this thing, and that's why we believe we're closer to God. And, And different churches believe that based on their uniquenesses, their the things that they value, that they are closer to God. But if our closeness to God is rooted, not in what we do, but rooted in what he's done, then the idea of being closer, that doesn't make much sense. That's what Jesus, that's the kind of unity Jesus talks about. Um, It's a oneness of divine access. It's a oneness of divine inclusion. That as Jesus and the Father were one, that that his disciples would experience the same oneness. This, this is a this is a unique unity, a one-of-a-kind unity. Um, so that's the what. What's the why? What it says in John 17, 21 and John 17, 23. John 17, 21, he gives us a why. So why does he want the disciples to experience, to, to, to come to understand? And, and experience this unity. He says, Father, just as you are in me. Again, I'm in John 17, 21. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So what Jesus prays that, that he would be in them, they would be in him so that the world would believe that the Father sent the Son. He says the same thing in John seventeen twenty three. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. It takes this divine unity in Jesus' expression here to convince the world that the Son, the Father sent the Son into the world, that as the disciples experience this unity, as Jesus' prayer for them is answered, and for us is answered, that the world will, because of that unity, not just a unanimity, not just people talking or acting the same, but this unity that comes from understanding that I have an unbreakable connection to God, that I cannot get closer to Him. That as the those who are His followers experience and understand that, then the world is in a position to understand. Then, looking at this, that the Father sent the Son into the world, uh, what Jesus uh, and He says that. that that needed to happen so that the world would believe that the the Father sent the Son. Um, In the first century, Paul saw the oneness of the church as the necessary step of Christ into the world. And again, Paul, out of all the things that he experienced and the things that vexed him, the thing that was most troubling to him and we'll talk about it in the series coming up, is when the church split. Again, we can't undo church splits. I'm not saying that we can't go back to a one religion. That's just not in our power. But at that time, when the church divided into threes in Corinth, they some were more loyal to Paul, and some more loyal to Peter, and some more loyal to Apollos. Paul saw that and said, what in the world are you doing? Don't you understand that in splitting, we forfeit our ability to do what it is that Jesus asked us to do. It's the power of one that convinces the world that the father sent the son. And that's why Paul was, if the first followers couldn't close ranks, if they couldn't support one another, the message would not survive because its heralds wouldn't survive. The world recognizing that God sent the son and loves the son, love the son's disciples. Excuse me. The world recognizes that God sent the son and loves the son's disciples is not necessarily a positive response if the world looks at those who seem to act as if they are intimate with God. They believe they're loved by him. It's the idea, again, apparently in this context where Jesus doesn't say the world's not going to go, oh, isn't that nice? Oh, they are really loved, and I really want to enter, and I want to be loved like they're loved. What Jesus said in John 17, 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. When the world looks at, and the world in Jesus' day wasn't secular, it was sacred. It was those who were trying so hard to get into God. They are trying so hard that they give up and they try hard and they give up and they try hard. And they're so desperately trying to get into God. And when they look at those who are claiming to have an unbreakable relationship, they're Their attitude is, what in the world are you claiming? You don't try any harder than I do. You can't be close to God because you're not doing all the things that I do. You don't even try hard. And um, so Jesus understands, so this experience of divine love, which is based on what he does, not what we do, that this experience of divine love will be experienced within the context of human hatred. Again, the world which threatened the disciples... Was the religious establishment, not the secular one. It was religious people who th- threw penalty flags at those who believed they were deeply loved by the Father. And it wasn't the secular world. Uh, the source of that hatred will be sacred, not secular. Vertical connection will be experienced within the context of horizontal disconnection. Um, it seems then that those who reflect to the world a message of being loved, need to possess that love and believe in it in order to reflect it. Somebody who doesn't believe they're loved will have a hard time convincing somebody else that they're loved by God. Put it, in, put it this way. Uh, the world cannot behold what the church cannot reflect what the church does not reflect. The world cannot behold what the church does not reflect. And the church cannot reflect what the church does not behold or cannot behold. If we don't know that our connection to God is secure and firm, we are loved by him as much as he loved his son. um, if we don't behold that, we can't reflect it. And if we can't reflect it, the church can't behold it. And therefore, what Jesus asked is that his disciples would experience that unity so deeply that when they talk to the world about the love of the Father, it would believe it would be believable. So we looked at the what of unity. It's a divine unity, a very unique one of a kind, it's the unity of inclusion in God and the why of it is so that as it's experienced and lived out that the world will believe that the Father sent the Son into the world. So let's ask one more question before we close and again we'll look at other things up in the next weeks as we continue thinking about common causes. the how of unity This is what Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I have given them, John 17, I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one, as we are one. Jesus gave the disciples something that would allow them to experience this oneness, so that because Jesus gave them this thing, they were able to be one as he and the Father were one. And the thing that he gave them was the glory, this glory he received from the Father, he gave to the disciples. And because the disciples received this glory, they were able to be one. And they, because, okay, then this glory, it's necessary for us to receive it. What is this glory? What is glory to begin with? Glory is divine disclosure, It's when God reveals himself and says something to someone, and that person who experiences, hears, sees, understands what the Father says, experiences the Father's glory. In the Bible, there isn't one experience of glory. There are two primary experiences of glory in the Bible. One occurs within the context of the Old Covenant that was mediated by Moses. Another experience of glory was mediated by Jesus. And um, those are the two main revelations of divine glory. Old covenant through Moses, new covenant through Jesus, there are differences between these glories. They have different impacts. Old covenant glory was conditional. It was conditional, and its influence was temporary. It was, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you don't do this, you'll be cursed. There's things you had to do in order to experience the intimacy. If you didn't do them, the intimacy was cut. You could become closer to God. You could become farther away from him. Under the old covenant, because there were conditions—that's what conditional means. If you fulfill the condition, you get the intimacy. If you don't fulfill the condition, you don't get the intimacy. That's conditional, and the old covenant was conditional. Uh, That's why the influence of the old covenant was skin deep and short lived. It changed people for a little while. They try hard, but they gave up, and then they try hard, and then they gave up, and it. And that's why we see that cycle in the Old Testament of the Bible. Jesus came. And gave the disciples glory, but not Old Covenant glory. That's not what he gave them. That doesn't promote oneness. It promotes separations, obstacles, distance. The glory that Jesus came to give the disciples was New Covenant glory. That's why he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. That's why he came, to inaugurate a new covenant. New Covenant glory is unconditional it's unconditional. What it means is that if the relationship you have to God is dependent not upon what you do or don't do, but what Jesus did, then it's there's no conditions. You can't get closer or farther away if you believe it. And that's the, that's the thing biblically is biblical Christianity is when we look at what Jesus did, we understand that because of what he did, I get to experience unconditional love. Not because of what I do or don't, but because of what he did. And therefore, its, it's influence is permanent. It's, God gave um, Jesus new covenant glory, and the influence of new covenant is heart deep and long lived. Again, Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And the glory that he gave them was new covenant glory. I close with this, and we'll talk about it more In order to experience this divine unity, in order to experience the power of one, it's necessary to understand and receive the glory glory Jesus came to reveal. We can't be confused. The glory Jesus came to reveal is new covenant glory. And what that means, the unity that Jesus talks about, The power of that unity, I think we can make a very strong case. It's rooted in covenant clarity. We have to understand the covenant that Jesus discloses. We have to understand the glory that God extends to us. It's not old covenant glory. It's new covenant glory. How many religious divisions are rooted in covenant confusion? How many splits are rooted in covenant confusion? People assuming that if I do this, that, believe this, that, I can get closer. The unity that Jesus describes here is found within an understanding, again, of new covenant glory. Um, keep coming back. We'll continue to look at and try to understand this glory, because the more we understand this glory, the more we will understand that we're loved and accepted as as much as Jesus was, and that will allow us to reflect to the world things that it desperately needs to behold. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. And I think it's amazing that we have his final prayer, these words recorded for us. So on the night before he goes back to you, we're with him and we're listening to him. As we're we get to hear what it is he talks about to you. What a privilege that we can hear these words and understand as Jesus looks back over the millennia what he wants for us. His desire is that. We might be one as, as he was one with you, Father, and Jesus as you were one with the Father. The unity that is experienced in heaven that we would experience kind of on earth. It's not talking the same or acting the same. It's knowing that the love that you have, Father, for the Son is extended to us. I ask that we would understand this love and we and believe it so that we might be one. In Jesus' name. Amen.